prayer. Lord, we thank you. This morning, I want to talk to you about punching debt in the face. And so one of my favorite teachers is named Craig Hill, and he tells this little parable. It's of Satan. He's meeting with his senior, uh, senior devils, his generals, and they're coming up with a plan. How are we going to enslave nations and control people? He says this. The spirit of mammon stepped forward and said, I've got a plan. I think I can get the job done. This plan will not only enslave individuals and families, it will enslave nations without them even knowing that they become my servants. Here's the plan. I will get people to voluntarily make themselves servants to lenders, and then we will govern and control the lenders, and thereby control and govern entire nations, controlling and governing entire societies. And Satan says, yep, that sounds like a good strategy. Let's close in prayer. See, here's what a stronghold is. A stronghold is anything that's normal for you that's not normal in the kingdom. In our society, somehow debts become normal. Everybody's got a car payment. Everybody's got a mortgage. And uh, it's not normal in the kingdom. You're not going to get to heaven and find a 30,000-year mortgage on your mansions. I love what uh, Dave Warren Ramsey says. He says, debt is normal. Be weird. And that is what we want for you and your family. Weird, debt-free parents raising weird, debt-free children. What are we to pray? On earth as it is in heaven. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. A little bit of debt, a little bit of slavery. A lot of debt, a lot of slavery. That's why they call it MasterCard. Is there a difference between good debt and bad debt? At least we'll have one takeaway from today, okay? I, I think we've already seen what that's going to be. I do believe there's a, de- a difference between bad debt and good debt, and uh, I would not call it good debt. I would call it financial leverage. And so financial leverage, it uses debt like a lever. I'm able to move large amounts with something smaller. Something, uh, and so uh, here's an example. If you purchase rental property, that produces more income than the expenses. That would be financial leverage. I'm using mine down payment to be able to control a large amount of money, and now I have a cash flow producing asset. If your expenses are less than the income from your property and the, uh, the income from the rents is paying off your mortgage, that's a wise investment. That's different than putting shoes on a credit card. You guys see the difference there. In other words, that's a cash flow investment. Another example would be um, a smart wealth building strategy is to leverage a business using debt. Let's say if you know if you get this certain type of machinery, it's going to produce sales and income that are going to be greater than the debt on the machinery. You are using leverage, using the bank's money, someone else's money, to get that, le- to get that piece of uh, equipment, but it's going to become an asset. Or if, if it, it's going to be an asset if it puts more income into your business than the cost of the loan to get that. The key is that the income is produced from debt exe- exceeds the cost of the debt. So in each of these examples, here's the idea, is you're growing an asset. You're not just buying a pair of shoes that are going to wear out. You're using financial leverage as a way to uh, multiply wealth. Another way of saying is you're putting more money in your pocket with the asset than the debt is taking out of your pocket. See the difference? Some of you do. All right. Um, let me just give you a warning on financial debt, I see, uh, on financial leverage. I see it like a loaded gun. Um, sometimes a loaded gun is something that is very useful. Sometimes it's something that's very dangerous. And so I don't believe there's like a one-size-fits-all solution for people, but you need to use real wisdom on this thing. But in an inflationary economy, let's just take um, income-producing real estate. In an inflationary economy, it can make the good times great when you're using financial leverage. In a deflationary economy like we had in 2008, it can make the bad times unbearable. Okay, All the other forms of leverage, they do not cut both ways. But it, with financial leverage, it, it, it'll cut you both ways, good times and bad. And so just be aware of that. Um, the question is, does the Bible ever give any pictures of leverage? 
And so I believe it does. I believe it at least opens the door. Again, I'm not mandating that everybody go out and use financial leverage, okay? It needs to be part of God's wisdom. But I, I believe that story where Elisha, he told the widow to go out and borrow containers. Get them from your neighbors. Listen, the more that she borrowed, the more that heaven could fill with oil. And she actually used that to pay off her debts. The story of the parable and the minas and the parable of the talents. They're both stories where a master had a sum of money. He had his servants. He entrusted them with that money. So they took somebody else's money, went out and invested it, and were rewarded with what they did based with someone else's money. The person who was wicked and lazy and didn't do anything with it, didn't make his payments, he, um, he was not rewarded. Let's just put it that way. We've looked at that parable and other things. Again, there's no right or wrong answer that can be generalized to everyone, but there is one right answer for you. And that's going to be between you and God and his wisdom for your life. So I'm not going to tell somebody it's wrong for them to get a loan. I'm also not going to tell somebody it's right for them to get a loan. It just depends on what God's leading you into. So here's the question is um, when you got that loan, did you consult God? Or did you just take matters into your own hands and create an Ishmael? That's really the root issue of the whole thing is did you even include God in the process? So what about a mortgage for the house you live in? Uh, to me, this is an asset that's likely to appreciate. The alternative is rent, which um, in a lot of cases is just it's, just, it's not throwing money away because you're still getting value out of it, but it's not an appreciable asset where in, uh, in the history of the United States in the last 100 years, we've lived mostly in an inflationary economy. So buying a house as an appreciable asset, appreciable asset makes sense. Um, of course, there's rules for buying a property right. Um, what about student loans for college? Did I hear a boo? <laughs> well, nobody enjoys school loans. I mean, uh, you know, if you look at some of the private schools, you know, you're looking at you know, $50,000 a year for some of that stuff. And I'm thinking of parents who have the money to pay off their kids' school. They could have bought them a fully furnished house and a fully furnished retirement account that with 30 years of compound interest, they'd be a zillionaire and those type of things. So it's just like you've got to weigh some of that stuff out. But here's the most important questions to, ask for, uh, to answer for college. What is God calling me to that requires a college or advanced degree? Parents, do not let your kids grow up to be cowboys. And parents, do not, that's an old song, it's okay. Do not let your kids go into debt over school loans if they don't know what the heck they're going to do in the future. I'm just going to school because I want some freedom. You know, I want the college experience. Don't get the college experience under debt if you don't know what the heck it is that God is calling you to do. I remember we had a girl in our young adults group when we were um, back uh, before electricity when Mary and I were the uh, young adults pastors at a church. And uh, she went off to Bible school, and uh, after two years, she had racked up $60,000 in debt. She went to a Bible school there, and she was going to be a youth pastor. And so uh, she comes home from summer break, and we're talking, and she's already feeling the burden of debt. Oh, my gosh, I'm $60,000 in debt, and da-da-da. I said, listen, you need to stop it. You need to come. You need to intern here under us. We'll get you the experience. You can take Bible college online. And I said, you're going to ruin your ability to get married. You know, I wanted to say you're, you're cute, but you're not that cute because you're about... <laughs> I actually might have said that now that I think of it. Uh, Mary was there. And so, um, the, uh, and so she didn't listen. She's like, but, I, but all my friends and I'm in this sorority and we got this community and all this stuff. And she went and uh, ended up racking around $120,000, $130,000 in debt. And uh, still, with a youth pastor major, gang, don't. <laughs> that can be another takeaway. Don't. Um, another important question for college is, can I afford this college? 
um, you're not looking at uh, the, how good the college football team is when determining a college. You're not looking at whether or not your father and mother went to that college, and now you're going to go to that college. You're looking at, can I afford to go to this college? Okay? And then following the peace of the Holy Spirit on that thing. So, um, so I believe that a college degree can act as leverage if God's calling you to get a degree that requires that and then ask him for the wisdom. But you can go to community college for the first, first two years and cut down on a whole bunch of that stuff and do year, years three and four to get your uh, bachelor's degree. And so don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I know the studies where uh, you know, the, the average uh, person has a college degree, makes more money than the, the person who doesn't have a college degree. Those could be several factors. I'm not sure that they've isolated in that study, but it does show that. But what is God calling you to do, and does it require a college degree? Don't just go get a degree and hope that it gets paid for. And will the career make you enough money, youth pastor, to pay off a $120,000 degree? No. Are we Okay. Let's talk about bad debt. Bad debt is when you use credit to increase your lifestyle beyond what you can afford to pay. Don't buy stuff you can't afford. That puts it pretty simply right there. Bad debt's when you're spending for consumption. I'm acting as a consumer, so I'm buying something, and it's not an asset that's appreciating. It's not secured like, you know, you get a car or something like that. It's like a pair of shoes that's going to go out of style. It's, um, I'm buying this vacation because I deserve this vacation that I can't really afford. It's buying TVs, and I heard somebody, they were talking, they're like, yeah, you know, I really want to get these headphones, but I can't really afford to get these headphones until I get paid uh, next time. If you don't have enough money in your bank account to pay for headphones, and you have to wait till the next paycheck, you can't afford those headphones. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. Um, I believe the, the Greek are, says you are Maximus Brokus. Real simple with credit cards. Don't buy things you can't afford. If you can't afford to pay off the balance each month, you should not be using credit cards. Okay, we're, okay so it's getting a little more exciting in here. All right. I'm like in the amen section over here. I appreciate the encouragement. It's a little lonely up here at times. Here's what the credit cards are good for. They're good for convenience, and they're good for getting rewards back, you know, extra mileage or cashback rewards. Just make sure that the rewards you're getting are uh, greater than the f- annual fee that you're incurring, okay? So, um, so what's the solution to bad debt? It's real simple, right? Hey, what you need to do is you need to just um, not buy things you can't afford and pay off your credit cards every month, right? It's real simple. Here's the problem is credit card debt is not a financial problem. It's a financial, it's, it's a personal problem masquerading as a financial problem. Okay, that's like telling, I mean, it's just, just everyone knows the solution. Hey, don't buy things you can't afford. Like, everybody knows that solution. That's like telling someone who needs to lose weight. Here's what you need to do. You need to eat better and exercise. Oh, seriously, why didn't anybody tell me this? This is amazing. Everybody knows that the problem is the execution. Because losing weight and uh, getting out of debt, those are both emotional and personal issues. They're not financial and just, and just physical issues, Right? Financial debt is a symptom, it's not the problem. Again, it's a personal problem masquerading as a financial problem. It's just real simple, guy. Uh, bad debt is a result of bad habits and bad views of money. It's your habits and your attitudes towards money. So some bad debt habits and attitudes is you just go shopping for fun. Hey, what do you want to do today? Hey, how about we go shopping? It's not a recreational activity. <laughs> 
Okay, we might need to, we might need to yeah, we might need to exchange some lies for truth on that one. I'm understanding that. Um, here's another bad debt habit. You go shopping when you feel depressed, you can give yourself an emotional jolt. Hashtag Amazon. <clears throat> uh, entitlement. I deserve this vacation I can't afford. Another uh, bad habit. You only pay the minimums on your balances. Uh, you're gonna, yeah. Uh, you go shopping for ego. You know, hey, all my friends are wearing this kind of stuff, and I'm hanging around them. They're, if I'm going to be cool, I need to... Uh, uh, consumer lifestyle versus an investor and a steward. A consumer lifestyle is you're, you're putting things in your credit card that are gone. They're here today, gone tomorrow. An investor is thinking towards the future. A steward is thinking towards God is the owner, I'm his money manager. When you're, when you're putting something on credit, you're presuming on your future because you don't know what your future holds and your ability to pay for it. When you're trusting God for it, you're trusting him as your provider. You're cutting God when you're when you're using bad debt, you're cutting God out of the equation and not even giving him the opportunity to be your provider. MasterCard becomes your provider. It becomes your source. Well, God's not taking care of this situation. I've got these emotional needs. I, I need to feel important with this outfit, and I need to do this and that, and God's not providing it, so swipe. And really, you, you've just decided, I'm the owner of my money. I'm my provider, and you've cut God out of the equation, and you're wondering why things aren't going well. Um, people that don't, uh, yeah, that instant gratification. I'll take some pleasure now over freedom later. Every time you go deeper into debt, you're putting off your financial freedom a little bit longer. Unfortunately, it even affects people in the church, where there's many people that are selling their birthright of freedom for a poor, like, uh, like uh, Jacob and Esau did. They're selling their birthright today for a bowl, they're selling their birthright tomorrow for a bowl of stew today. Hey, let's go out to eat. I can't really afford it, but all my friends are going out. Let's go out to eat. Bowl of stew today for your birthright tomorrow. So I remember one time I was uh, just, boy, this is just like a year or two ago. I'm out walking the dog, just kind of praying in tongues, just enjoying the Lord. And, uh, and I'm kind of praying over our finances. And there's some things that we were wanting to pay off. And okay, let me just set the situation up first. I, I understand this is a first world problem, and I'm not trying to get anybody to feel bad about this situation because it's absolutely ridiculous. But at this time, we had four drivers in our family with three cars. I know you're like, oh, Jim, my goodness, like, how do you guys make it? Like, <laughs> like you poor people, we need to take up an offering. No, you don't. Um, you're not my source. But anyway, and so this, I'm just kind of thinking about it with the Lord, and I'll just tell you where my thinking was, okay? So um, Wesley's getting older, he, and uh, we've got three cars. I know what I'll do. I'll give Wesley my car, and I'll go get a better car. So that's just kind of my thinking at the time. So I began lusting over all these different cars, and most of them had angry-sounding engines, you know. Like, I, I love the V8 sound of Detroit Muscle. It sounds like two Darth Vaders for lungs, and he has bronchitis, you know. It's like, I love those kind of cars. They just sound ticked off. And so I'm just begin fantasizing about all these things I can do. Oh, man, we can swing that payment. This is going to be awesome. And so, I, so I'm, you know, just, it, this is all going on in my mind while I'm praying over, in tongues over the car, you know. And so um, you pray in tongues, the spirit's happy. You lust over cars, the flesh is happy. Everyone's happy. It just works out great. And so... Uh, as I'm doing this, uh, the Lord reminds me of the story of King Asa. So here's what's going on in the story of King Asa. King Asa, he's the king of Judah, the, the southern kingdom of Israel, and he's facing an enemy that's twice the size of him. So he's, it's a bad situation. It's not good when you're facing an enemy twice the size. So he consults the Lord, and the Lord gives him a wonderful victory. Yay, God. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that part of the story. I feel like the Lord's like, keep going. 
And so then uh, a page or two later, the, uh, King Asa is in the same situation. He's, uh, he's facing a kind of an insurmountable odds. And uh, instead, of, uh, he, so instead of fighting the battle himself, he goes and takes money out of the treasury and pays another king to go open up a can of whiptail on his enemy. I'm reading this story. I'm like, this is brilliant. No loss of life, like delegating this thing. Like, what a great leader. God reads this story and says, here's what God basically says. Um, Asa, because you did not consult me, because you relied on the arm of the flesh, you're going to have a war all the rest of your days. And here's what the Lord told me. Jim, as long as you're willing to put up with debt, you'll have debt. And some of you know this. It's, it is so much easier to go get the... I'm not saying God's against car loans. It, it, it's a secure debt. I get that. He's against you not even consulting him. It is a whole lot less work for me to go to BMI Credit Union and get a loan online or to swipe their credit card for something I need than actually have to renew my mind and trust God. But when I lean on the arm of the flesh and just do it without him, you'll have war all the rest of your days. And some of you guys know this. Just when you begin to take steps out of debt, something breaks down and you're back in a worse situation. What's happening? You're having war all your days because you're leaning on the arm of the flesh. And as long as you don't consult him, you're going to have war the rest of your days. And so I'm walking and I'm thinking, OMG, like, like we cannot... We cannot do this car loan. I'm not saying you can never do a car loan or we can never do a car loan. At this time, God was speaking to me, do not lean on the arm of the flesh. And so I come home, I'm telling Mary, I'm like, listen, I don't care if I got to ride a stinking bike to work. I am not getting a car loan in this situation here. And so, and so we're just kind of praying. We're just like, God, we just give it to you. Like, we don't have answers. And so, Lord, um, you led us to this, so we're just resting in this. I'm not going to act like we prayed a whole bunch about it. I think it was just one of those situations where it's like, we'll give it to you. And so... Uh, about two days later, a friend of ours calls, and he had just bought a new car, and he's like, hey, um, I don't know why. He's like, we were going to sell the car. Maybe we're looking for someone to give it to you. He's like, I had Wesley's name come to mind. Does Wesley need a car? I'm like, I'm like dude, you have no idea. This is really a, a God thing. And so, um, it, and to boot, the car he was giving us was a Mercedes. God bless those German engineers. <laughs> I love German engineering. I just, God bless Germany. I love the whole thing. Everything about it, I love it. And so... Um, and so the, the lesson of this story is not two days later you're going to get a Mercedes. Because here's what God does, is there's times he will answer quickly because he wants to confirm to you the truth of the matter. And there's other times the promises are so important that they require character in order to carry the answer. In other words, you have to grow and become stronger so the weight of the answer doesn't crush you. Sometimes it's, um, you know, you pray, and the answer is like coming as it's coming. I love those times. But most of the time, it's you plant a seed in the ground. Time, time, harvest. We want seed time harvest, seed harvest, seed harvest. We just want to harvest. Sometimes you have to become, listen, all of God's delayed answers means the answer is just gaining interest. Listen, there's a delayed answer. He is not up there being mean. I had a friend whose father literally made them wait till Christmas evening to open their presents just to be mean to them. Yes, that's not our Heavenly Father. Oh, I've got the resources, but I'm just going to hold it. Listen, guys, he has nothing but goodness in his heart. So if there's a delay to the answer, it's because it's gaining interest, because you're becoming the kind of person that's going to be able to take territory in this thing. How we doing? 
So the, so the thing is, is, did I consult God or did I take matters into my own hands and try to produce an Ishmael? One of my favorite illustrations we've talked about is the FedEx driver. Oh, my gosh. This guy gets it. This guy gets it. He drives around. He's got a thing full of packages. He's not even worried there's not going to be anything left over for him. He's just giving them away as if he doesn't even own it. This guy's unbelievable. Now, if the, uh, if the manager begins acting like the owner, if he begins looking and saying, oh, man, here's a package from Charming Charlie's. My wife loves Charming Charlie's, which she does. Maybe I'll take this home. Listen, if he begins to act like the owner when he's not the owner, you've got problems. In your finances, if you begin to think that you are the owner, you've got problems. God's the owner. I'm his money manager. So the question is, is did you consult the owner before you made this purchase, before you got this loan? He said he would be your provider, not MasterCard. Another quick thing before we're, uh, we're actually circling in for a landing. I know some of you are in shock. You're like, hold on, all this time away and it's shorter? He's the God of miracles. Isn't he good? <laughs> Here's another quick thing. Step up to your debt with your family. Step up to your debt with your family. So there's just so many times, uh, there's kind of like, a, there, there's no, I'm not saying you need a contract with your family, but it's like family members give money and there's not really any clarity on how this is going to be repaid. Is it going to get repaid? And so it's like you give them money, and now they're like going off and doing vacations better than you can afford. And you're thinking, hold on, that's my money. Like we lent them money. They haven't paid us back, and now they should be paying us back, and now they just got a new car. And, now they just, and it can cause this bitterness between families. And so here's what I had to learn. I, uh, we had started a real estate and marketing company, and we didn't get paid for <clears throat> 10 months. And um, it, was a, it was a bold strategy that I don't recommend. And, and during this time, my dad's like, hey, let me just give you some money to float you. And uh, he never talked about repaying it. He just was kind of like he was giving it to me. And uh, I don't think he actually ever thought of it. But a couple years later, I'm like, you know what? We need to repay dad. Like, this just isn't right. And so, but in my mind, I was thinking I needed the whole lump sum, which was five figures. I needed the whole lump sum to repay him. Just in my mind. So I just kept putting it off and putting it off. Like, someday we'll, we'll get this amazing windfall, and then I'll pay dad in one check. And uh, I was talking to a friend, and he really helped me through this. And he's like, no, 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 just set up a payment plan. He's like, that alone will take away any tension. Like, they're stepping up to their debt. And so we just began paying him monthly. He just put it on automatic, uh, you know, check writing right out of our uh, bank account. And so you do not need to have the entire sum. Just pay back what you can. Don't make it so it's breaking you. But just doing that will restore relationships. We good? All right, so I want to uh, do a couple of activations with you guys to, uh, to break off debt. So the first one, I want to break off this thing on you and me sometimes that says debt is normal. Okay? So you remember, uh, you know, like 20 years ago, we used to pray stupid prayers like this for healing. Lord, if it be thy will. And it just sounded so spiritual. And then we learned, oh, it is your will for healing every time. We're not here to do that sermon, but just in case you're wondering, it's God's will for you to be healed every time. Jesus is like, I only do what I see the Father doing. And uh, he healed every person who came to him and every person the Father led him to. He never was like, oh, not my timing. Oh, you're in the middle of an important lesson. Oh, you got too many generational curses. Oh, you only tied 9% instead of 10%. Oh, you're not submitted to authority. Who's your covering? Uh, <laughs> he never made him jump through hoops. Anyone who touched the Son of God received healing. Boom, period. So we used to have this crazy thinking that God was kind of moody and you just never knew. He's sovereign. Yeah, he sovereignly said, heal the sick, raise the dead. It was his idea, not mine. And so, boy, I want to teach on healing. 
But here's the thing. We haven't got that same revelation when it comes to debt. You know, because when people get sick now, it's like, no. Like, this isn't right. This is like, we need to serve an eviction notice to this invader. This sickness does not belong. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can get ticked off. Like, no. Like, when someone's healed, we're not like, oh, Father, what's your... And it's like, get that thing off them in the name of Jesus, right? But we don't have that same revelation yet for debt, I don't feel like. Where it's just like, that's normal. You know, everybody has a mortgage. Everybody has this and that. I feel like we need to have something rise up on the inside of us by the Holy Spirit, not trying to work it up in emotion. We're going to be chanting and walking over hot coals. Um, what I'm talking about, though, is, is something rise up on the inside of us and says, I'm done with debt. I'm not saying that you will never again use financial leverage or this and that, but there's this thing where, God, I'm done trusting in my resources. I'm done with this thing being normal. We're going to break off hopelessness next, Okay. But I want to do this dead as normal. I just feel like it's better standing. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm standing. But if you guys could stand up, we're gonna, this is just going to be a, a couple of quick things here. And so uh, here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray over you. And uh, you just between you and the Lord, whatever that looks like. I don't expect people to shout, you know, and all that stuff. Um, if you do, that's cool. This is the right church to do that in. But... Um, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that something would rise up on the inside of each person that says, I'm done with debt. I'm not passive about this thing. Lord, I know it is not your will for me to be in consumer debt. And Lord, even if you've got financial leverage, Lord, we ask you for a miraculous increase to get that thing off. And so just between you and the Lord, just tell them, God, I'm done with this thing. Forgive me for small thinking. Forgive me for hopeless thinking. Forgive me for getting sucked into this world's view of normal instead of the kingdom. Just take a minute and just be done with that thing. Let something rise up on the inside and just violent in the spirit, whatever you got to do. Let's just keep flowing. You can keep going here, but um, I want to break off hopelessness. Uh, my good friend Steve Backlund says this, your hopelessness about the problem is a bigger problem than the problem. Your hopelessness about the problem is a bigger problem than the problem. He says this. I actually, he's quoting Francis Frangipane in this. He says, uh, Francis says, any area of your life that does not have glistening hope, you're believing a lie. Glistening hope. Here's what hope is, the constant expectation of good. So if you're looking at your school loans, I think the average time for paying off school loans now is 21 years. Okay, And so um, if you're looking at it, whatever it might be, your mortgage, your credit card debt, maybe you incurred some debt from a divorce, a bad business deal, it doesn't matter, um, whatever the situation is. But you need to, if you have hopelessness, if you do not have glistening hope, you're believing a lie, and if you believe that lie long enough, it becomes a stronghold. Um, here's what a stronghold is in the Bible, an argument or opinion or thought contrary to the truth of God. That's 2 Corinthians 10. It's saying, you're not going to pay this thing off. You don't make enough money. You don't do that. okay? That's contrary to the word of God. Again, um, any pattern of thinking that limits God's truth and power in your life is a stronghold that puts you in bondage. In the kingdom, you get what you believe. So when you believe a lie, you empower the liar. And if the liar is saying, you're, this is a nooser on your neck. Or you may be cute, but you're not that cute. You're never going to get married with this debt. That's a lie. Okay, that was just a silly thing I said. Um, but listen, gang, if you, you get what you believe, you don't get what you need in the kingdom. Okay? And so, uh, so let's just break off that hopelessness. Uh, Lord, we just repent of any hopelessness, of just 
assuming it's going to be horrible, assuming it's going to take 21 years or the minimum repayment period, periods, Lord, we break that hopelessness off in the name of Jesus. Just between you and God, just repent, but just receive that hope. Receive that hope in the name of Jesus. Lord, I can have glistening hope because I'm not in this by myself. I can have glistening hope because debt is not normal in the kingdom, so you're going to take me into your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just keep flowing here. Um, I want you to get a picture of the word redeemer. Here's what the word redeemer is. Um, if, let's say you're in a pit financially. It doesn't matter why you are in that pit. It doesn't matter if it's your poor decisions. It doesn't mean if it was the bad decisions of other people. Why, whatever reason you're in this pit, here's what redeemer means. It means that God gets in the pit with you, and he walks you out in his strength, not your strength. And so just invite him to be a redeemer. Lord, I, we just invite you to become the redeemer in our financial circumstances. No matter why we're in the pit, you will get in the pit with me and walk me out in your strength. Okay? And so just, man, just let that wash over you. Let him make it real to you. I'm just going to take some time for that. All right, I saved the best for last. You guys ready for this? So um, David's mighty men, they weren't always called David's mighty men. Here's what they were called before that. They were men who were in distress, in debt, and discontented. In debt, in uh, distress, and discontented. I think a lot of things that sometimes get overlooked when getting out of debt is the power of an atmosphere. Because here's these guys who were discontented, in debt, in distress, and they came into an atmosphere of a red-headed Jewish boy named David. And this red-headed Jewish boy named David, he would worship God when no one was looking. And uh, it so created an atmosphere around him that when they got into that atmosphere, something changed on the inside of them so that they were no longer discontented, in debt, and in distress. But they became David's mighty men. Listen to how um, Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Listen to the Passion Translation on this. This is genius. Now, the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. I think a lot of times we hear, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. The opposite of financial freedom is debt. And so I, I think our prayer is, God, I want you to be Lord of my finances. It has to be more than just words. Okay, make them Lord. Good, let's go eat. Okay, it has to be more than that. It's, it's God, I repent for acting like the owner. But I want to be like the FedEx driver. <laughs> you know, like I, I'm taking orders and delivering them based on what you say. I'm not saying, God, you can't have free will. We, we've done other sessions on this stuff. But I want you to get, though, is the power of making him Lord because where the Spirit is Lord, there is freedom. There's people who came into an atmosphere of the Holy Spirit and they went from in, uh, discontented, distressed, and in debt to becoming David's mighty men. And so I believe that there's people in here today, God wants you to have an encounter with the Spirit where you begin to come that on the inside and your external circumstances can't help but line up. Jesus, we love you. And we just put you first in our finances. We make you Lord of our finances. And Lord, we repent if we've acted like Lord of our finances. So we're just going to trust you. We trust you to bring us into a different realm with our money. Lord, you're good. 
I feel like the Lord wants to encounter some of you with his goodness through money. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables dealt with money. It wasn't because he was looking to raise money for his, uh, for his earthly ministry. It's because kingdom principles flow right out of finances. So Lord, I just thank you that many, many, many are going to encounter your goodness through financial breakthrough, through financial stewardship. Someone once said that um, money can't buy happiness. And I, and I just say, well, you obviously haven't given enough of it away. Some of you are going to encounter God's goodness by the generosity that you're able to uh, be for other people. So, Lord, we just uh, break off the, the spirit behind debt. I'm not necessarily saying it's a demon. When I say spirit, I'm thinking of Ephesians 4, the spirit of your mind, the attitude of your mind. Lord, that, that thing that says it's normal. And we just say, Lord, we are done with debt. And uh, help us to become people who can carry the weight of increase. Although we renounce anything in our life or we try to get things in the strength of our own hands. Where we lean on the arm of the flesh. And I'm just going to pray this over you. That you can have joy in the middle of getting out of debt. It's not some heavy, oh my gosh, I can be happy when I'm done. No, no, no. Um, It says that when Joseph was in prison, God was with him. And he caused him to prosper in the midst of prison. So if you feel like you're in a prison, uh, God's going to cause you to prosper in the midst of it and have a joy. But listen, if it's taking you a while to come out of debt, it, it could be, again, bad habits or bad attitudes, or it could become he's building up such a strength on the inside of you and such a distaste for that thing that you'll never go back. Remember, if the answer is being delayed, it's because he's good. And he's got a reason for it so that there's something better you can carry on the other side. Amen? All right, that's it. I felt good. So we got our, uh, yeah. Ah, a little bit afternoon. We're not going to beat the Baptist to the restaurants, but um, what's that? Oh, the re- we are beating the Baptist to the restaurants. Mark, someone journal this. All right. If we could, uh, you know, I want to do this. I want to do this. Um, I just want on a regular basis, I want to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus as our Savior. And I understand some people are in the dating stages with Jesus. Sometimes they're just being introduced. Sometimes they're ready to get married. And so I understand people are at different stages here. But if you're here today and you've been encountering the Lord, maybe it's been for a long time, and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, uh, here's what the gospel is in two words. Trust Jesus. Not just believe facts about him, what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, but you're saying, I want as much of Jesus in my life as possible. I'm going to trust him with my finances, of course, my after death. But we, we like to say it like this, Ron, saying, God's not trying to get you into heaven when you die. He's trying to get you into heaven before you die. He's trying to help you live in a realm of his presence and power. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I want to know this Jesus, you've probably been on a journey. It probably just hasn't been today. But uh, maybe today you want to step across that starting line. Um, I, I'd love for you to just raise your hand with every head, oh, every head up, every eye open, everyone looking around. Jesus said this. He said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And so we're not trying to embarrass you, but there's, this, there's something that happens with a boldness when you raise your hand. And so if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, but you're like, I want to trust Jesus today, um, if you could just raise your hand nice and high. You do not know him or you've been away, but today you want to you make that step forward. Is there anybody in here? You with the sweaty palms and the pounding, the palpitating heart? That's you. Anybody in here? All right. Well, our ministry teams will be coming forward, and uh, if you did, what do we Communion? Can it keep for a week if we stick it in the fridge? 
Yeah, we'll do communion at the food trucks. And so um, we'll do this. We'll do it next week. So uh, bless you guys. I bless you to be the most dangerous people in Columbus, Ohio. I bless you to love radically. Bless your waiters and waitresses as if they were Jesus, which doesn't mean 10%. All right, there we go. Our ministry teams will be the ones with tags on. They're coming forward. If you're new here, we would love for you to come to our ministry teams and get a prophetic word. Uh, God has nice things to say about you. It's not a crystal ball, but it'll super encourage you. If you need some agreement for healing, bless you guys. Act like Christians in the parking lot.